Well, good morning, everyone. Central Heights, my name is Tim. If you're a guest here, it's my privilege to continue in our series called The Better Way, part two. We've been going through the Sermon of the Mount, and today is the last message on that. So if you want to take your Bibles, you can join me at Matthew chapter 7. We're going to pick up verses 13 and 14, and then also 24 to the end of the chapter. We're going to be talking about choices this morning, and especially the choice. I was reminded of that very recently. Um, I, I chose a very brief but interesting diet. I'll call it the Whistler diet. Our family likes to get up to Whistler for at least a couple of days every summer. And uh, when we go there, we, we play hard, we have fun, we exercise, we hike, we play games, and then we eat really well. We buy, we buy food, we bring it up there, we cook it for ourselves, and we have these delicious meals. And then once a day, we go to our favorite bakery coffee shop. And, and I know it's not just a favorite of mine and ours. It's a favorite of a lot of people because there's lineups there. And, and so we go there and, and, and we hang out for a bit. And, and I love to have a good dessert. I call that my Whistler diet. And so uh, we're there, and my kids, my, my kids are adults, and they're a little more health conscious maybe than I am. And so sometimes maybe they'll go without a dessert or they'll share a dessert. You know, maybe that makes their conscience feel better. Um, I, I, I have no, no, no misgivings around that. I just, if I'm going to have a dessert, I want the full thing. And so I'll buy a whole dessert. And I'll, I'll even share it with them, but I don't want to nibble on a dessert. I want the whole thing. And so this one particular day at, at this favorite bakery coffee shop, I mean, they have so many good choices. And, and I was in a real, you know, conundrum uh, making the decision, so I bought two. I, I bought this one and I bought that one. And, and as I'm coming to the table, I can see their eyes getting bigger, like, Dad, what have you done? And um, so as I brought my morsels, I put them on the table. Of course, I, I have to suffer the family interrogation um, about that. And my one daughter says to me, Dad, I'm really concerned about you. Well, I told her this was not my regular diet. This was like uh, uh, this is like my holiday diet. It's a, and I have the freedom to do so. And if you if you weren't so hypocritical and nibbling away at my dessert, I might listen to you. But really, as a father, I'm so pleased that my children have understood that when we make choices, our choices have consequences. This is true of the way we eat. It's true of the way we exercise or don't exercise. And it's very true in our spiritual life. And as we look at the end of the Sermon of the Mount this morning, Jesus is getting to that. He's getting to the choices that we need to make, and in particular, the choice. We have seen uh, in, in messages previous that God is sovereign. I mean, he's in control of all things. He's the first mover. He's the initiator. Without his activity and his work and his doing, all our efforts are pathetic and futile. But in God's sovereignty, he so values us as human beings that he's given us the freedom of choice and that he allows those choices that we make to actually have real consequences in our freedom. And as we look at this passage this morning, we'll see that Jesus wants us to choose wisely. And so he gives us a couple of images that we're going to look at this morning. A gate leading to a pathway and then a house being built. 
And in that, they both speak about the choice that we make. Look at me at Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I'm wondering, what is your expectation of the Christian life this morning? Jesus uses images that the people around him would have been familiar with. Uh, Gates to a city were quite common. Cities were walled for the reason of protection. And and by having gates, you know, people would have to narrow and they would be identified. Uh, Gates served different purposes. Some were for commercial use, some for people traffic. And so they often had names in Jerusalem. You had the Fish Gate, you had the Jaffa Gate, you had the Damascus Gate pointing north. And so they had different names. And so Jesus is using a concept that's very familiar to the people. And in describing it, he describes a narrow gate and a pathway that is hard. And if we take Jesus straight up, what he's saying to follow him is not going to be easy. And yet this is the choice that you need to make. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the gate. He says, I am the way. And it's not going to be easy. So it's not enough just to... um, be warm to Jesus. To, it's not enough just to, to think, oh, he's, he's a good teacher. It's, it's not enough just to be favorable to what the Bible has to say, the words of Jesus. That's not enough. To, to enter is to choose Jesus, to commit your ways to him, and then to follow in the instructions that he has given to his people. Now, let's be clear. This uh, narrow gate is not that we have, to, we have to work our way in order to gain entrance. In fact, it's the exact opposite. We have to admit that we could never earn our way through this gate. We could never, this gate, we could never do enough things to gain entrance, to gain passage. And this is part of the narrowness, to, to enter the gate, to enter into the relationship with Jesus. It begins with a, an admission of that I can't do it. I'm not enough. And I need you to be my Lord. That's how it begins. That's how the entrance starts. And as you think about um, making a commitment to Jesus Christ in, in first century, and even in many places around the world today, just by, just by giving your allegiance to Jesus immediately puts yourself in harm's way. Recently, having been at a peace conference and, and some of the conversations that in this uh, multi-faith conference where there's people from different faiths, just to be there for some of them, put them in harm's way, just that they would even mingle with people of other faiths, including Christians, put them in harm's way. Next week, we are going to have a guest who, by committing his life to Jesus Christ, immediately put his life in danger. And for some of us, we realize that we may suffer loss of popularity by committing ourselves to Jesus, even in our own environment here. But for many people still today around the world, just by aligning themselves with Christ immediately, that becomes a hard decision. We read in Matthew chapter 10, Verse 32, just a couple of chapters later in Matthew's gospel, it says in verse 32, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. 
But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, why would anyone deny Jesus? I mean, why? Why would they? Why does Jesus have to speak this? Persecution? Threat? Loss of livelihood? He goes on to say, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The narrowness that Jesus is talking about is not that we have to work our way into entrance into the kingdom. No, the narrowness is that once we we choose Jesus and his gracious gift of life and his generous offer of salvation, when we choose that, it immediately can put us in a place of harm's way where we, we, and and the surrender of, of things even that we value because we choose the higher value of a relationship with him and it may even result in the loss of of relationships, including family relationships. This is what he's talking about. This is the narrowness of choosing Jesus. And it's hard. That's hard. The same word, the the hard way, uh, that word hard is translated afflicted and used in a number of occasions by the Apostle Paul. We read in 1 Thessalonians where Paul says, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. That's the word hard. Just as it has come to pass and just as you know. The idea of affliction was part of of Paul's calling to follow Jesus. When God speaks to Ananias to go and and pray for Paul, um, he tells him that this will be part of Paul's calling, that he's going to suffer. That's part of his calling. And as Paul goes around and he spends time with, with new believers in Jesus Christ, one of the things that he warns them about, that he tells them about, is that they are also going to experience suffering and persecution. They need to be prepared for it. This is what the apostles do. They prepare the followers of Jesus for affliction, for difficulty, that the way actually may be hard. Were you expecting that in your Christian walk? I mentioned our family goes up to Whistler, um, tried to every summer, and uh, <clears throat> in earlier days, and I've told this story before, we, we made a trip up to Whistler, and uh, on our way, uh, my, one of my daughters said, hey, we should stop and do the, the hike up to the chief. And we hadn't done that before as a family. We had time to do it that day. And uh, so she began to explain to us, yeah, it's like a 30-minute hike. Um, It's not that hard. Um, It would be really great. It's beautiful. And so we believed her. And um, it was right around noon. And people that know me know that I I get hungry. When I get hungry, I get grumpy. Um, So there's a bit of risk involved. But hey, it's only a 30-minute hike. Should be no problem. Uh, We had one water bottle for the whole family. Hey, we hadn't prepared for this. No big deal. Uh, My one daughter had no running shoes along, so she was going to do it in her flip-flops because this is an easy hike, and it's only 30 minutes. No big deal. And so we start. 
And apparently, um, her idea, her concept of time is a little bit misconstrued. It's, it's not 30 minutes, and, and it's not easy. It's not a flat hike. It's, uh, there, there's sections that are very much like the grouse grind, where you're climbing upstairs, you're going straight up. There's a section where you're actually walking on rocks and pulling on a rope. This, this, is, it, this is a very difficult hike. When Jesus and his apostles, when they're, they're talking about what's it going to be like to live in the kingdom of God? What's it going to be like to follow Jesus? They prepared the followers that it might be hard. Apostle Peter says the same thing in, in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, why would you think it's strange? Don't be surprised by the fact that you might endure some suffering. This fiery trial that comes upon you to test you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But, but know that th this is part of following Jesus, but it's so worth it because in the end, you will experience this glory, God's glory. You're going to experience his glory. There will be nothing that we could ever imagine than to see and experience and to live for eternity in the presence of God, in the fullness of his glory. So we do the chief hike and eventually we get to the top, flip-flops and all, one bottled water, nothing to eat. I was okay with it because when you get to the top of the chief, there's this incredible, incredible, glorious view of God's creation. And you sit on this rock face and you look out into the valley and you see the waters, you see part of the ocean, and, and it takes your breath away. It's absolutely beautiful. And as you're there, you think to yourself, that hike, that hardness was so worth it. Jesus as he thought about eternity when he came in human flesh and, and he knew that the calling, the, the path that he was given in the Father's will would take him to the cross. It says in Hebrews that for the joy set before him, he endured the scorn. He endured the shame of that cross because of what he could see beyond it, the, the glory that he could see. How, how, how he could see at the cross where, where the love of God and the justice of God supremely come together and how God would be glorified in that amazing event. He could see this joy of the cross that, that as he endured, endured it and that as he would rise from the dead afterwards and, and that he would be able to offer this reconciliation, this entrance into the kingdom through him, what we're talking about this morning, because of this cross, that people would be able to be reconciled with God, walk with God, uh, exist in God's presence because they'd be cleansed and, and made free by this work of Jesus at the cross. For that joy, he endured it, he embraced it. And he took the hard way, and it was not easy. We know that. We get a glimpse of how hard it was when, when we're shown Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night he was betrayed, and he's there in the garden, and he's praying to his Father, Oh God, Father, Abba, if it's possible, would you take this hard way? Would you take this cup of suffering from me? Would you do it? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And Jesus embraces 
the crucifixion for the joy that was set before him. It was so worth it to him. And so it will be for us. In the end, our ultimate destination, what we're going to experience, what we're going to see, what we're going to know will make any, any affliction, any tribulation that we experience because of following Jesus, it will seem to us but light and momentary. You know, athletes, for the, the joy of a prize, um, they will... You know, they will uh, deny themselves all kinds of foods, all the baked goods. They will, you know, beat themselves, their bodies with exercise to, to obtain this temporal prize. And the apostles are, are setting up before us again to be reminded of the ultimate prize that awaits those who are part of the kingdom and followers of Jesus Christ. It will be so worth it, so worth it. And so we read in Matthew 10, again, that Jesus has said, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, I think the, the ultimate destination of God's glory, nothing can surpass that, but there is also a life that we can find in the present, in the now, when we take up our cross, when we deny ourselves and we embrace the kingdom way of following Jesus. Let me explain. Some of the hardness of the way of Jesus is from what we experience from without, but some of it is from what we experience within. When, when we have looked at the Sermon of the Mount and listened to Jesus' teaching, and, and if you've listened carefully, uh, I would think that you've been challenged in, in many areas of your life that what he's calling his people to, uh, the, 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 the description of a kingdom citizen, is not easy, it's hard. And so Jesus says things like, forgive your enemies. Is that easy? I mean, come on, really? When we really think about it, or, or maybe you're in a situation personally where, where you've been deeply offended, where you've got a person you're at odds with, there's, there's great odds, and you've been wounded. Is it really that easy to forgive our enemies? No, that's hard. Is it easy to keep our commitments, as Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount? Is it easy to, to let our yes be yes and our no be no? You think about how are our marriage is doing. Is it, is it easy to stay committed in those relationships when they get hard? Is it easy to be generous? Is it easy to be free from anxiety? Is it easy to act out the golden rule where you put other people's needs ahead of your own? No, these things do not come natural to us. And, and so in that way, initially, especially, they are hard because we have to, we have to be retrained. We have, to, we have to relearn how we do things. It's like when I came to Canada when I was seven or eight years old and we moved to Calgary and it's a winter climate there that unlike no other, but everybody when they're kids plays hockey in Calgary. I mean, that's what it means to be a, a Canadian in Calgary. You play hockey. And so when you're from Oklahoma and you, you've come to this city and you, you've got to learn to to skate and play hockey. And, and at first, it's so incredibly hard because it's so unnatural to stand on these little pieces of, of metal. And, and so, 
It's hard, but you, you, you have to go through that initial hardness. And so you wobble and you bobble and you fall. And the people that are with you, though, are, are, are cheering for you. They're not, they're not criticizing you. They're, they're encouraged that you're giving it a go. And where I lived, like we all, we all played together, like kids that were seven or eight played together with kids that were 14, 15, 16. And so there was encouragement there and I learned to skate and I learned to love what was going on there. And so it is in, in following Jesus. At first it's very hard, but eventually it becomes more natural. And then you need to learn something else. You learn another skill. You learn to pass. You learn to shoot. And, and you keep growing. And, and each new initiative becomes hard at first, but it becomes easier, easier as you go. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist. And as he began to contemplate the morality that we're wired with as human beings, and as we talked about the golden rule, and eventually he committed his life to Christ, Later, he asked the question in one of his books, Mere Christianity, which is a classic. He asked the question, is Christianity hard or easy? And he answers it, yes and yes. He uses the illustration of two students taking algebra. And he says, in the end, every teacher knows that the lazy student will find it the hardest. You see, at the beginning, the student who, who does the work to understand the, the algebra, to, to get behind the principles, and they invest the time and energy to do that. In the end, they're going to be better off. But the lazy student who just memorizes some of the formulas, six months later when there's a big exam, the lazy student has to spend like nights and nights memorizing more formulas and more formulas. But the student who understands the principles because they, they took the hard way at the beginning then finds it easy because they understand the big picture and it all works together for them. So it is with following Jesus. And that's why Jesus can say some things that seem to contradict one another. See, when we, when we leave Jesus out of the picture of our lives, our way actually does become hard. Because we don't know how life should work. And so we, we end up messing things up and we experience we experience pain and frustration in the ways that we wouldn't if we were following Jesus. And so just a couple of chapters later in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest in your souls. Does that sound hard? No, it doesn't. And so the way of Jesus is both hard and it is easy as we choose his way. But we must choose. Two choices, Jesus says, the easy way, the hard way. What will you choose? Some neighbors uh, just behind us where we live once told me they had been contestants on this iconic TV show program called The Price is Right. Now, maybe if you know what that show is, you're probably giving away your age. But when the price is right, at the end of the show, if I remember correctly, they had usually a couple of doors that would open up with prizes. And so you could pick door number one, door number two, door number three. You bid on them. Um, this is different here with what Jesus is talking about. There's not several choices, and they're all good. No, he, he presents the way of life within, in simplicity in two choices. There's the narrow gate and there's the broad and wide gate. 
There's the hard path. There's the easy path. There's the path with fewer. There's the path with many. What will you choose? Radically different results. Jesus says, if you lose your life, you will find it. And this is truly, I believe, what happens in my own experience, in my own life. You see, sometimes it's really hard for me to surrender things in my life to Jesus and following him. But I find that when, when I do that, when I get myself to that hard place of just letting go and then listening to him and following him, I find myself in a place of, of life and fruitfulness and joy. This is what he's calling us into. C.S. Lewis talks about it. He says, we must not be surprised if we are in for a rough time when a man turns to Christ and seems to be getting on pretty well in, this, in the sense that some of his bad habits are now corrected. He often feels that it would now be natural if things went fairly smoothly. But when troubles come along, he's disappointed. These things he feels might have been necessary to rouse him and make him repent in his bad old days, but why now? Because God is forcing him into situations where he will have to very much be braver or more patient or more loving than ever dreamed or ever being before. It seems to us all unnecessary, but that is because we have not yet had the slightest notion of the tremendous thing that he means to make of us. See, this is the life that we discover as we allow God to work in our lives, as we surrender things to him. He works in us beautiful things and he transforms us to be nothing less than like himself, Jesus Christ himself. What will you choose? The second image that Jesus gives is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and who does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. This is a very simple picture. Jesus painting two houses. Uh, if you're in construction, you understand the importance of a right foundation. If the foundation's not right, later the walls are going to crack. The, you know, all kinds of bad things are going to happen. Things will slope. You've got to have the foundation right. What is the right foundation from Jesus' perspective here? Very simply, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. The words of Jesus. At the end of this chapter, it says when the people heard him, they, they were just marveled because of the authority that Jesus had. He spoke as, as one who was completely different, and we should not be surprised. Jesus is the Son of God, living on earth. He's the creator. He's existed in eternity, and here he is before people, explaining to them how life works. And if anyone knows how life works, wouldn't it be God? The God who created all things. And here we have Jesus walking among us, experiencing human flesh, experiencing our experience, and then telling us how it is that we can live under his rule. I, I mean, that's amazing. God has explained to us. He's, he's unpacked it. He's made it pretty clear, pretty simple, what it looks like to experience the life of God in his kingdom. He's shown us the way. 
So how should we live our lives? What should we listen to? We have options. We can, we can be moved by our feelings. We can let that make our decisions and, and guide our pathway because we're very feelings-oriented these days. We, we can be moved by, by a synthesis of, of ideas that we just feel are right. But in doing so, really, we become our own God because it's, we're making the decision as to what is truth and what is not in truth. We can make our decisions by Googling. We just make our decisions by consensus. And so we Google and we, we, we synthesize it all together and make decisions. What, what Jesus is saying is if, if you want a life that's built rightly, that's going to last, that has enduring value, you need to hear my words and do them. It's not complicated. Hear my words and do them. It, again, it's not enough just to be fond of Jesus' words. It's, it's not enough to like to listen to podcasts and, and hear messages of, you know, from the scripture and, and understand you know, deeper insights. It, it's not enough. We need to hear the words of Jesus and do them. That's what it means to build our lives on the solid rock, who is Christ. Not just to hear, but to do. And James it says, and don't be hearers of the word only, but doers, lest you be deceived. Had a very interesting conversation. <laughs> Had it a few times with this particular person. Um, she has a gym membership. She's been once Maybe in the last two years. Um, you know, did you know that gyms are counting on that? Isn't it amazing sometimes how they can advertise like a monthly membership for like $19.95? Like how can they stay in business when you add everything up, the cost of their real estate, the cost of their employees and, and all that? How does that work? Because they're counting on that you're going to make a decision, but not really a decision if you know what I mean. That you're going you're gonna to be fond of signing up and you like the idea of going to the gym, but you're not actually going to act on it. And so I've kidded her a few times. Hey, you still got that gym membership? Yeah. Why don't you get rid of it? Because it's such a good deal. Eleven ninety five a month. Used once in the last two years. Jesus says... The foolish one is the one who builds on the sand, and that means to hear the words of Jesus but not do them. He says, you know, there's going to be storms that come in our life, and I don't know what Jesus had in mind when he talked about those storms. We all know that we, you just live long enough, and you go through difficulties, you go through trials, storms. It can be spiritual storms, spiritual attack. It can be uh, other things that are going on, complications with people. Like, we, we all experience difficulties. We're, we're all put to the test. He says, Jesus says, that's going to come. Is, is your life built upon the rock? Is it, is it built upon my word and the doing of my word? Because that's how your life is going to stand. That's how it's going to have enduring value. So to build a house upon a rock in, in first century Palestine, you have to dig down through the dirt. And, and who knows how far you might have to go till you hit rock, till you hit that solid surface. 
But, but what Jesus is implying is that it takes time, it takes effort, it takes persistency. It is not the easy way. Again, this is the hard way. And when you think about applying it to our lives, it means that we need to listen and we need to have a continual mode where we're listening to the word of God. We're listening to what God has to say to us through his word. And then as the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, bringing to our attention certain things that need to change It's in our doing that we build that solid foundation upon Jesus. And then the storms come and we stand. Dallas Willard says, we become a life student of Jesus by deciding, what are you choosing to build upon? Every day we make a choice. What are you choosing to build upon? Are you choosing to build upon the expressed will of God as he's given to us in his word, recorded for us so that we know how to live? Or are you building it on something else? You know, in the last uh, week or so, we've, we've seen on the news the, the, the legacy that a person leaves, whether for good or for bad, and, and a particular senator in the United States, if things have come to the... To the forefront, we see a man who it appears has, has lived a life of, of, for many years, of daily decisions, of integrity, of making right choices, not the easy choices, but the right choices, and leaving a legacy that is admirable to, to peoples of all parties. More closer to home, uh, for me, in the last uh, couple of months, um, my 95-year-old mother, we, we uh, got to see her graduate and do her graveside, and then a week and a half ago, we had her memorial, and, and how incredible it was for us as family and for, for friends who knew her the best to be able to reflect on a legacy, a beautiful legacy of a person who built their life upon Jesus, who built her life upon a relationship with God, of intimacy with him, of listening to God. Of, she had a passion for prayer, a passion for God's word, and a passion just to, to walk in obedience with, with God and, and to see this, this huge wake of legacy from a person that had really no high profile personally, But just in the everyday, being consistent and in relationships, leaving this wake, this beautiful wake of godly influence, what kind of life are we building? What kind of choices are we making? Jesus is inviting us today to choose him and to choose his way. This morning, as uh, I close in prayer, I, I, I think the best application for this is only the application that the Holy Spirit can bring to your own life. As I'm talking and, and, and you are listening, surely the Holy Spirit is bringing to your attention, hey, here, here's, here's the place we want to go. Here's the thing we want to work on. Here's what I want to develop in your life. And will you go with me? We'll, we'll, it might be hard, but will you go with me to that place? Can we work on this together? And, and, and God doesn't leave us to our own devices. It's God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So, so as the Holy Spirit brings that to your attention, know that he's going to help you. But where is that? Will you, choose, will you choose to go with him there and continue to allow him to build into your life as you do his word? Let me pray for us. 
going to ask you to bow your heads, and if you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I invite you, just as I'm praying, to to surrender your life to Christ. That's what it means to enter by the narrow gate and simply to make a choice to follow him. Um, You can just say yes to Jesus as I'm praying, and um, that's the beginning of an amazing, amazing life with God himself. Lord, we come before you. We thank you that you gave us your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that he is the gate. He's the way. We thank you, Lord, that he's made a way for us to now enter into a relationship with you, Lord. And in that relationship, Lord, we want to be your children who listen to what you say and bring pleasure to you, Lord, by our obedience, by what we do. And we know, Lord, that you will help us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace when we fail, when we stumble. Thank you, Lord, that you don't condemn us, but you're there to pick us up and help us to move forward. Thank you for what you're building in us, Lord. And God, I just pray that all across this room this morning, we'd be saying, I choose you, God. I choose you. I choose you, Jesus. I want to build my life upon you for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.